Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you this week as we return to our normal sessions of interesting topics suggested by our listeners and that come up from time to time with all of the interactions we have with our wonderful clients. I hope you enjoyed the series we completed last week on total return and how to score an asset and how to design your own plan. Uh, if you missed those, uh, please take a listen. Uh, it's a five-part series. Uh, happy to do those. And this week, excited to talk about a topic that does come up from time to time and that actually came up in conversation with a client this week. The 1031 trap. So 1031s are really valuable tools in the creation of wealth. We've talked about them a fair amount in the past, and I'm going to go into them in some more detail today. It is possible to paint yourself into a corner if you don't stay on top of your 1031 chain and what you're doing in particular with some of the tax advantages you experience along the way. So I'm happy you're joining me to learn more about the 1031 trap, and we'll get started. Before we do, if you have questions, do not hesitate to shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com, or go to marapolling.com and register for a phone call. We still have space in our upcoming uh, webinar on the recovery for 2021. Uh, we had to reschedule from our, uh, uh, our time that we had set uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, we're now set for the 14th of April. So you can go to the Learning Center at marapolling.com and register. It should be an exciting topic to discuss. Uh, just today, the jobs report was released and showed uh, over 900,000 folks got to go back to work in the month uh, of March, which is amazing and great and exciting for us in the multifamily space. So join us for that. Uh, if you can't be there that date, please register, and then you'll get a copy of all the content. All right, so the 1031 trap. Let's, let's take a look at this. I, you have heard me say, and I have had people tell me, help, <laughs> I'm stuck, and I can't get out of my real estate. I owe too much deferred tax. What's going to happen? So that's what we want to explore is how can you get yourself in that situation and how do you avoid getting there? And then what can you do if you find yourself down the road after a series of 1031s, what you can do about it? First, let's talk about a 1031 because some of you may be listening going, all right, I've heard this, but I don't really know what a 1031 is. Help me understand what a 1031 is. So a 1031 or a sale exchange or a starker exchange. There's a number of different terms you'll hear for this, but it is a way that you can sell real estate and sell it for a profit. So you buy a building for $10 million and you sell it for 13. You can reinvest the proceeds from that sale in a new building and do it within a certain amount of time. And you can do so in such a way that you don't pay any tax on that $3 million gain 
at that point in time. You can defer that, and you can do that again and again and again, and you can build a chain of 1031s. 1031s allow you to defer tax exposure, meaning you get to keep the dollars you would have had to have paid in tax at that point in time and keep them in your asset, meaning your assets are larger, they're going to generate more cash, and they're going to grow in value in a more significant manner. You will eventually pay the tax, except in one instance that we will talk about, but you'll pay those with future dollars that are smaller from a purchasing power standpoint than today. And again, you're paying them years or even decades in the future, and you've had the use of those dollars all along the way. So it's a wonderful tool to use. We absolutely use it a part of the wealth creation strategy we have, not only inside our total return fund uh, vehicle, but also inside individual 1031s that we help clients put together, which by the way, if you have a 1031 or you own assets and you're considering a 1031, uh, hop on the, on the phone with me. I'm happy to talk to you about it. Uh, we may or may not be able to assist you. There's a lot of factors that go into that, but I'm happy to help you think about uh, a 1031 and what that might mean. So what's it mean to be stuck inside a 1031? So let's, let me give you an example. And you're not really stuck because you always have options, including just selling and paying the tax. But let me describe what I think people mean when they say, I'm stuck, help. I buy an asset and I put a million dollars of equity in. And I'm using a nice round number that might be a fit for you. Maybe you've got 10 million to invest, maybe you have 100,000. But just scale it up or down. So we've got a million dollars that we put into an investment. And over the course of five years, six years, seven years, whatever it might be, that asset grows in value and my million dollars is now worth $2 million. Fantastic. Very happy. If I sell, I have to pay tax on that million dollars I made. Let's just say it's going to be uh, 25% combination of capital gains and maybe the state you live in has some tax that you'd have to pay. So we'll just say 25%. Well, that's $250,000 in tax I have to pay. If I do a 1031, I can roll the entire $2 million into a new asset and I get to keep the $250,000. Now, eventually, if I sell and don't do a 1031, I've got to pay the tax on that million dollars of gain. But again, I'm paying it in the future with dollars that are worth less than they are today. So I get to keep that 250 and it generates cash and it grows in value. So you can see there's a lot of power inside a 1031. So I do that and I do it again, right? So I take that 2 million and I do it again and now I've got $4 million of value because I've doubled it again, again, against my million dollars that I put in. So now I've got a $3 million gain, and maybe I do it one more time. So I'm all the way up to an $8 million valuation for my investment. And this might have taken me 20, 25, 30 years, however long, but I've turned a million dollars into $8 million. I'm really excited about that. Hiding in that $8 million, though, is $7 million of gain that hasn't been taxed. And, and this is where the trap can come in, I have been depreciating the assets I've been investing 
all along the way. So that million dollars I have invested, I may have been able to realize hundreds of thousands of dollars of losses because of depreciation. And then when I invested the two million in a larger asset, I may have gotten some more depreciation. I may have a basis that for our argument, we're gonna say is all the way down to zero from a tax standpoint. Meaning the entire $8 million that I've grown is now subject to tax. Some of it depreciation recapture, some of it long-term capital gains tax. But it's all subject to tax. And it might be a 20%, 25%, 30%, whatever the rate might be at that point in time. Let's just use our 25% number again. So now my $8 million isn't $8 million, it's actually only $6 million because I owe $2 million in taxes. And I'm sitting there thinking, I put a million dollars in and now I owe $2 million in taxes? Oh my goodness, I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm stuck. I can't afford to pay that tax bill. Now, that's, that's the experience. That's the trap. Is it really a trap? Well, no, it's not, right? I mean, keep in mind, let's look at this example. Someone took a million dollars and turned it into eight million. Even after they pay the tax, there's six million dollars left against their million dollar investment. That's five million dollars in cash they're walking away with. That's a pretty slick deal, right? So that, how can that be a trap, right? Well, that two million dollar tax bill can be intimidating. Right? So that's one of the reasons it feels like a trap. But the other is that depre those depreciation losses. So those depreciation losses, if they've been used, right? So maybe you're an active investor. You've used those losses uh, in some way, shape, or form to offset other income. Maybe you're a passive investor and they've gone against other passive gains. But if you've used all those losses and your basis really is zero, then you're also looking at the depreciation recapture uh, bill that goes with it. So, you know, you could be conceivably looking at even more tax exposure from that standpoint. And if you don't stay on top of that, you, it can catch you. So how, so how do you do that? How do you manage a 1031, in particular, a chain of 1031s, so you don't get into that position where you feel trapped, okay? Well, one of the ways that I recommend that people do that is annually assess the value of your property. We do this actually quarterly uh, in our investments, but uh, annually works just fine. Assess the value of the property. What would my property be worth if I sold it? And after I sell it, what would it take to then pay off my note, any outstanding liabilities, how much cash might I have laying around, get down to a net number. What would my net be if I walked away? And that's the number that is potential boot. There's another term if you're not familiar with 1031s that you'll learn about. Boot being the tax exposure associated with the sale of an asset if you do a 1031 but don't fail to reinvest all of those dollars. So you've got to take all that money you get and you've got to roll it into uh, a new um, asset. So do that and then do the math on what would the tax be on my gain and on my depreciation recapture. And I always encourage folks, uh, at a minimum, have a tax advisor 
right? So if you do your own taxes, have someone you can talk to about taxes that can help you uh, better uh, manage your personal situation. And I strongly encourage folks, have a CPA do your taxes uh, because they'll be able to give you the best advice. We're not providing tax advice. We're describing a general scenario. Your personal situation is going to be completely unique from anyone else's, and you want to get advice about that. But in general, they'll be able to help you look and say, all right, if I sold today, here's how much tax I would owe. And then you can evaluate, okay, how would that actually get funded if I were to sell? And you can stay on top of that. And that may have some impact on what depreciation strategy you choose to use as you go forward. Remember, we've talked about a lot of different ways you can manage depreciation straight line, cost segregation, accelerated, and so on. Um, and it may also have an impact on how you choose to access the lazy equity in your asset, right? So accessing the lazy equity in your asset with a supplemental debt or with refinance debt can lower the amount of boot. It can make 1031s easier. Again, a lot of, lot of levers to maneuver here that can really help you manage the growth of the value of your portfolio, and the 1031 is a really important tool. As I said, it's not really a trap because by definition, you've made money, right? Any time someone complains about tax, right? The old joke, hey, I had to pay a million dollars in taxes. Well, poor you, that means you made a lot more than a million dollars because nobody has a 100% tax rate. So if you got to write a big check, congratulations, you made a bunch of money. And in this instance, that's true. If you've used that money along the way, though, right, if you've done uh, a lot of losses from depreciation, and if you in particular have been taking cash out using some of those debt tools I just described, you may suddenly find, wow, I've got a lot of tax exposure but I don't have a lot of money left in this asset. Well, it's because you've already used it. So you need to stay on top of it so you can see what the reality is of the value you've created. Because in the scenario I just described, a million turning into eight million, that person made $7 million. Absolutely no two ways about it. And there is tax that's owed on that $7 million. If they've already pulled $5 million of it out using some of those debt products I just described, and there's only $2 million left, well, they've already taken the value, and they need to be aware of that, which is why you need to stay on top of it every year in terms of analyzing where you actually are. So how do you avoid the trap? Stay on top of it. If you find yourself in that trap, right, if you did what I just described, if you constantly pulled lazy equity out and now it's time to end the 1031 chain and there's not enough value left to pay the tax bill, what do you do? Well, there's a couple things you can do. You can do another 1031, right? You don't have to stop. Now, if you're in a position where you're like, I don't want to manage it anymore. I did all this when I was young. I'm not young anymore. Well, there are folks out there like us that work with people to help do 1031s and that can manage them on a going forward basis. So you don't have to necessarily be as personally active in the day-to-day -day management as you've been in the past. And again, that's something I'm happy to talk to folks about um, 
if that's, if that's of some interest uh, to you. And we're not the only folks that do that. There are lots of folks out there that could help you uh, in that uh, regard. So you can just do another 1031. Now, you might say, well, doesn't that make it worse? Because <laughs> now my $8 million is going to turn into $16 million in the next doubling, and I've just made that much more tax exposure. Yes, there's that much more tax exposure. But in that example, you just made another $8 million. Again, you're not in a 100% tax bracket. There's more than enough gain in that $8 million to pay the tax on your entire chain, right? So that might be your exit strategy. Do one more 1031 and then cash out. Another exit strategy is to not exit. Just hold on to the asset. If you're buying quality assets and investing in quality assets, an option that you should always have present in your plan is to not ever sell it. Now, there's a lot of opportunity costs in not selling. You give up the ability to get fresh depreciation and to make more uh, losses. Uh, while you can free up lazy equity with some of the debt tools I described, you don't free up as much lazy equity as you do with a 1031. Um, yes, there's some transaction costs with 1031, but we think they're outweighed by um, uh, the cost of having that lazy equity sitting that you just can't access, which is anywhere from maybe 25% to half of the lazy equity, depending upon what kind of loan you might uh, put in place. But you can absolutely just hold on to the asset. So if you've purchased an asset that you're comfortable holding, or you've invested in an asset with others that everyone's comfortable holding long term, then you're not trapped, right? And it's just going to continue to grow in value. And as it grows in value, that extra value can be used to ultimately pay the tax bill. The other way out is structure these asset purchases in the first place so that you can potentially take advantage of the step-up in basis that currently is on the books and occurs as part of someone's passing and becomes part of their estate. So your million-dollar investment that grows to be worth $8 million could have a basis that suddenly jumps to $8 million if it's structured the right way. What do I mean by that? I mean, talk to your estate attorney and talk to your CPA, and they will help you figure out how to do that so that you're holding title correctly. If you don't have those two folks, I encourage you to go get them. If you're going to build a long-term wealth creation strategy, those should be part of the discussion, not just for tax purposes like I'm describing, but also simply for the management of your estate. Uh, if you're going to build a, an estate of any size, you're starting with $100,000. Well, I just described how you could turn $100,000 into $800,000 or maybe even into a million six over a number of decades of investing in uh, multifamily real estate. If you're going to do that, you ought to have an estate plan uh, that addresses what happens. You don't want this to end up in front of a judge trying to figure out who owns what and all the rest of it. At least I don't think that's probably what you want to have happen. So is there a potential trap hidden inside 1031s? Yes, I guess there is if you were to invest in 1031s consistently and just didn't pay attention, right? And just said, wow, this is great and took full advantage of it. And we're constantly pulling money out and getting every bit of loss that you can to offset other income. But you weren't keeping track of what was going on with that basis and how much equity you would actually withdraw if you stopped the 1031 chain. By keeping track of it, 
you'll then not be surprised. And if you're not surprised, it's not going to be a trap because you'll have laid out a path in terms of how you go. And if you are currently investing and using a 1031 and you go and do the math, the analysis that I just suggested, and you're like, gee, I've refinanced so many times that if I sold today, I would barely get enough money to pay the tax. That doesn't feel very good. Well, don't worry. You're not trapped because you can do another 1031 and keep that growth going. You can hold the asset and continue to ride that growth curve, although uh, with a few different uh, elements, including uh, how depreciation might handle from that standpoint. And you can hold it with the intent that it's part of your estate and the basis issue gets addressed then. So you absolutely have options. As I said, very interesting topic. Um, if you have a 1031 uh, with $100,000 of boot, I'm happy to talk to you about it and give you some ideas as to what you might be able to do or at least help you think it through. And obviously, if you've got a multi-million dollar 1031, there may be some opportunity we'd actually have a property that uh, could fit your particular needs. So if you have questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Don't forget to register for the upcoming webinar on the Recovery 2021. You can find that at the Learning Center at marapolling.com. And please join me next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Marapolling.